What a beautiful time of worship, and I don't feel that that moment of hearing from God is meant to stop or just be replaced by hearing from me. I hope that through what I share and from what the Spirit is doing in you, that you're hearing from God as we continue to move forward and also as we take communion together. I always do this. I feel like I find the wobbly part of a stage. It's never stable. I hope that's not something said about my teaching. Um, (laughs) We're starting a new series at the start of this term called This Is Us. This Is Us. We're looking at some of the core and foundational messages of the gospel of Jesus. We've called it This Is Us because we believe it is a call and return to our first love and a defining moment to say, this is who we want to be in this moment, in this season. This is what it means to follow after God, confident in who we are and ready to love and serve our world. We're going to be looking over this series at topics such as surrender and identity, obedience, the power of the Spirit. And many more. And today we're looking at the idea of repentance. Now, what do you think about when you hear that word repentance? I imagine many of you will have stories from the Bible, such as the prodigal son that will come to mind. Maybe some of it will bring some quite negative imagery for you around condemnation and judgment and some of that stuff. Maybe some of you might see um, a picture of a street preacher standing on a street corner shouting, repent, the end is near. I was looking for a picture of a street preacher doing that and I just kept coming across Homer Simpson gifs of him him standing on a street corner. So anyway, so yeah, that maybe is some of your images of repentance that come to mind. It's generally not a positive thing, it's generally bring some negative thoughts and images. For me as a parent, these days it kind of brings a little bit, as I was praying about this topic, the idea of my two boys having an argument and falling out, and, and we say, right, say sorry to your brother, and one child shouting, sorry, at the top of his voice, the other child across the room, you know, sorry, back at him, and us going, like all of us as parents have probably said, say it nicely. And say it like you mean it, please. And that idea of, well, maybe that's repentance. If we just say it nicely and say it like we mean it. And that kind of maybe comes to our minds a little bit. And this idea of repentance is right at the heart of Jesus' teaching. In fact, it's the first thing that Jesus is recorded saying in Mark's gospel. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's one of the last things we see Jesus saying to the church in the book of Revelation. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repentance isn't just a fringe topic or a secondary issue. Jesus frames what true repentance is for us through his teaching, but also in the way people respond to meeting and engaging with Jesus. Now, repent means to change your thoughts. However, it isn't just an intellectual thing. It isn't just something that we just need to change how we think, and that's repentance. It's, a, it's an idea around changing our thinking that leads to changing life. John Tyson gives that as a definition, and I think it's a great definition. It says, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. It is when the revelation 
that comes from God begins to change the things we want and changes the way we behave in the world. It shifts our thinking from one thought process to another as we see and gaze into the eyes of Jesus. And in that, our lives begin to be transformed and how we act and behave and choose to live is changed. And I believe that there is a cry of repentance that should be coming out from us as a church, that we should be a people that are continually having our minds transformed and changed by who God is and what God has done for us. And that should lead to response in how we live. We aren't just repenting for the sake of it or because we want to beat ourselves up. We repent because it's an appropriate response to the goodness and love and calling of Jesus. But it also leads to the presence of God forming in our midst, seeing God coming and drawing close to us. Acts 3, verse 19 to 20 says, Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out at times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. As we repent, there is this turning moment, and in that, there's a drawing close of God. There's an inbreaking of the Spirit of God. There's what this passage refers to as these times of renewal, times of refreshing that come. As God's love transforms us, there's a presence of, a God, of God that is in our midst, now, I think a great example of um, repentance as framed in the story of Jesus is in John chapter 4 and uh, the story of a woman at the well. We're going to sort of sit in this a little bit today if you wanted to turn to it and look it up. Um, we're going to jump in in the middle of that story. Jesus is meeting with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. He engages um, with this Samaritan woman, which is unheard of due to bias and prejudice and racism and oppression and, 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 and what was seen as for many as um, the lowest of the low, someone to be avoided. Jesus draws close and as Jesus is always doing, he is pushing against some of the cultural norms of his day. And there in the middle, they have a theological conversation and this is where we kind of pick it up in verse 25. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. And went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. And I think Jesus is inviting us as a church to come to this well, Jacob's well, and to learn some of the heart of Jesus. I think within this passage we see some frameworks of repentance here, and as the passage goes on, we'll read some more later. I believe at this well we begin to see that everyone, see, except Jesus, he doesn't need it, but everyone else receives repentance. The Samaritan woman, the disciples, the local Samaritan village. They all walk in what it means to follow Jesus and to repent. 
So let's go back again just maybe to what Jesus said and those opening words of his ministry. Repentance, when he first talks about that, was, um, was before the cross. I mean, that's obvious at the start of Jesus' ministry. He had yet to die and, and come back to life and um, that, that carried the sins of the world to the cross. But repentance is this moment of pointing forward towards the cross and what he accomplishes there. In Matthew 4, verse 17, it's sort of a similar process to the Mark 1 I read earlier. And it says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach. So this wasn't an only one-off sermon. This was a common phrase, a common thing that Jesus was preaching from town to town with people, groups, and from village to village. He was repeating this phrase. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus speaking, I believe, in this moment about the incarnation, about himself. He is saying, change your thinking because the one you've been waiting for, the one that carries the keys of the kingdom, the one that is the king of this kingdom, is here right now on this earth, living, breathing, walking around. It is me. I am the one you've been waiting for, and I'm going to bring a kingdom that you've been waiting for. Jesus is directing and pointing people again back to himself, just like he does throughout his ministry. When you see him talking with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says that you think that through reading the law, you will have life, but it's pointing to me. I'm the one that brings life. Jesus changes our minds as we look to him. He changes our view. He changes our perspective. And whenever Jesus is teaching, he begins to point to himself and say, as you look at me, you see the world differently. You see that the kingdom of heaven is here, is at hand. He wants them to recognize and to see that he is God made flesh, walking, breathing, teaching in their midst. He is the one that they've been waiting for. The kingdom of heaven is here. And in this story of Jesus at Jacob's well, worldviews, thoughts, perspectives seem to change. And behavior is changed because of it. And it starts with that Samaritan woman. I already alluded to it, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans felt that they too, because they were half Jewish, would receive a blessing promised, the Messiah. The Jews saw them as half Jewish, as not welcome to this party, that this Messiah is for us only, not for you. But they felt, no, no, This is the one we've been waiting for. We get to get involved in this. And the Jews hated them for thinking that they were part of this story. And this woman says, I know this Messiah will come. And Jesus responds, I am the one you are looking for. I am he. I am right here, right now, in your midst. I am the one that history has been waiting for, that your people have been waiting for. And a revelation begins to start in her mind. This conversation she's had to this point, her thoughts begin to shift. She starts to see some things differently, the way she's lived her life, the sin in her life. Repentance leads her back round to a radical pursuit of God. And for her, in that moment, her eyes awoke. Her eyes were wide awake to the Messiah in her midst, to the kingdom of heaven in her midst for the one her people had longed for. And it says she left her water jar, ran back to the village. 
And often in that moment of repentance, as our thoughts change, perspective shifts, we often leave behind things that have felt important to us. And she runs back to that village with excitement. She starts to say, essentially, what she says, doesn't she? She says, I met a man that told me all about my life. Now, the reality was that Jesus told her a few things. She told her about her, some of her relationships and that sin within her life. But he hadn't told her everything. But she says, I've met a man that's told me everything about my life. I feel like it's almost like she's saying, I've met a man that seems to know me, sees who I am, and loves me. I met someone that is filled with love despite seeing the worst in me. And it, it produces this moment of repentance in her that draws her back to pursuit and desire of God. And she tells to tell her world, her village, about him. She starts to tell them that she has met someone that she thinks could be the Christ, the Messiah they've been waiting for. So all this is happening, and the 12 disciples, during this interaction, approach her well. They're probably a little bit uncomfortable about being in this part of town. They probably don't feel particularly at peace about all of this. In verse 27, and just, uh, just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? That word marveled, sometimes it's translated stunned. This perspective is stunned. That Jesus, the one that they are believing is this Jewish Messiah, is talking with a woman that is a Samaritan woman at a well, and they don't know what to do with her. And none of them asked why Jesus was talking to Samaritan women. I feel like that feels a little bit familiar to me. I feel like if I'm sort of in a comfortable situation like that, I don't really want to talk about it either. And kind of feel like I say it's quiet. Maybe it's just the men in the room. But I feel like if I'm with my mates, someone's done something that shocks me a little bit, the last thing I want to do is talk about it. <laughs> let's, let's stay away from that. And that's kind of what's going on here. Why is Jesus talking to the lowest of the light? They're all thinking it. There's this shock, this stunning moment in them. Their thinking is going. They want to work out what is Jesus doing, but they don't want to talk about it. And instead, they start talking about food, <laughs> which, again, maybe feels familiar to some of us. If there's a problem in the room, let's go for curry. Let's not talk about it. We don't want anything to do about it. And instead, they start talking about food. And Jesus goes on this, this bit about, you have food that I do not know. I've already eaten. They're like... Well, that was kind of, now we have to talk about it, don't we? Because someone's already given them food, and it's all a bit confusing. And it kind of comes in verse 35. Jesus begins to unpack for them kind of um, a spiritual principle using a cultural phrase, an agricultural phrase that is familiar. And this is what it says. It says, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. And look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. So it's this phrase which kind of is, is the idea of like the harvest is four months, like we can push that back, there's no rush, we can wait. And Jesus is saying and bringing a spiritual truth in this, saying no, the harvest is here. The harvest is here. It's ready. Now remember we've got Samaritan women in the village telling her village and the village coming out to see. And Jesus saying, no, no, look up, lift up your eyes and see. There's this village of people coming down towards us. We can't wait for a month. The harvest is here. It's ready. Now, Jesus, as I've already said, 
was the Jewish Messiah. This wasn't good news for these 12 Jewish men. He wasn't for the Samaritans. He was for them. They were not invited to the party. In their eyes, these people were not to be loved or saved or reached. Jesus was for them. But Jesus, again, begins to change their thinking softly and gently as he begins to say, no, this harvest is here. It's ready. And he goes on after that passage to say, will you join me in reaching them? And if you do, you will be rewarded. These Samaritans are part of the mission and purpose and plan of God. This is a part of that story of repentance. As they start to hear Jesus unpacking these truths for them, their minds and their worldviews begin to change. Jesus is leading them by the hand to see that his plan and his mission and his purpose for the world was bigger than just them. He was beginning to lead them to see that their prejudice, their bias, their racism was not okay. That it was sin in their life that they need to walk away from. The things that they just accepted culturally, that this is just who we are, this is just how the world is, did not line up with the heart of God. And they needed to lay those down and fully embrace Jesus. Jesus wasn't the saviour of one people group, of just one ethnicity. Jesus was the saviour of a world who would carry the sins of the world to the cross. And these disciples, they seem to have eventually got it. It's taken them a little while, but they seem to eventually got it. When you see in the book of Acts that this repentance has changed their thinking, has begun to change their behaviour. And in the book of Acts, they start to carry the gospel of the good news from Judea to Samaria, the home of the Samaritans, to the ends of the world. They start to participate in the great plan of God as they lay down the cultural scripts around them, the narrative that has been fed to them their whole life, and start instead to turn and see that Jesus was a better king to follow, a better saviour to put their lives behind. That he was leading them away from their sins, from their prejudice and bias, into a better way. And our culture does exactly the same. We have biases and scripts and prejudice that we all carry and hold on to today. Where are we accepting that? Where are we just saying, no, this is just how the world is. And where are we coming back to the feet of Jesus? Where are we allowing him to rework us? Laying down our agendas, laying down our own plans, laying down our idols and our sin. Allowing him to rewire and rethink. There's an invitation to repentance that God wants to bring to us as a church. And it starts not with judgment or condemnation. It starts with Jesus saying, I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Look at me. Follow me. I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to lead you in to something beautiful. A Jesus fully knows us, fully sees us, and loves us like a child. Romans 4, at the end of that passage, sorry, Romans 4, verse 2, at the end of that verse, it says, not realizing that it's God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. 
It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the love of God. As we meet with him and he reveals himself to us, that leads us to a change, a rewiring, a stunning of our perspective that begins to lead to, to change in our heart and a change in our life. And I believe there's a call in this season to return to the feet of Jesus and allow him to stun our way of thinking, to have our ideas reformed around the, his plans and purposes. Now, true repentance, it leads to radical obedience. True repentance leads to radical obedience. You see it here with this woman sharing her faith with her village. You see it in the story of Jesus time and time and time again. And um, Jason, who was with us a few weeks ago, unpacked it really helpfully. But, he, but, but you see it again with Jesus as, as he says to the disciples, repent, follow me. And they drop their nets and they follow and they respond to Jesus. True repentance leads to radical obedience. In Zacchaeus, Jesus tells him, come down from that tree and straight away he gives half of what he owns to the poor and returns all that he has stolen. True repentance leads to radical obedience. You see it with that woman who brings that jar to the feet of Jesus and breaks it at his feet and says, all that I have, my life savings, everything I've got, I want to give to you. True repentance and awareness and awakening to who Jesus is leads to radical obedience. As people saw the goodness of God, they responded with obedience. Are we guilty of hearing that invitation of Jesus and then just justifying in our own terms why we aren't ready to follow? I think I do that quite often. I hear that invitation, I say, well, life's full. I've got other plans. Are we guilty at times of hearing that invitation and justifying in our terms why we aren't ready to follow? Where might be there be a rewiring of your world view, your thoughts, your perspective, just like he did for that woman, just like he did for the 12, just like he did for the village of Samaritans that came out to follow? Where is the kindness and goodness of God drawing you out of your current thinking into a new understanding of Jesus. And how does God respond to our repentance? I kind of said it a little bit at the start, but we see in this story it's a village that comes to faith. As, G- as, as that woman repents and follows Jesus, she tells her friends, and this village comes to faith. The presence of God draws close. In the prodigal son, it's that story of a son as he turns and sees and remembers the goodness of his father, steps back into his identity and the blessing of what it meant to be a son. There's a presence of God. There's an inbreaking of the spirit. There's identity and blessing that seems to return as we repent, as we turn to Jesus. Tizer says this in a quote, says, prayer for revival will prevail when it is accompanied by a radical amendment of life and not before. All night prayer meetings that are not preceded by practical repentance may actually be displeasing to God. A spirit of repentance often precedes a move of God 
and revival in the region. God can use this woman at a well with her questionable history, an outcast of society, the lowest of the low, and it opens her eyes to see his goodness and revival begins to happen within a region. These villagers say, Jesus, stay with us. I think it's two days. I've forgotten right now, but I think it was two days that he's able to stay with them after an afternoon spent with the women at the well. And he teaches and prays and sees the work of God, the kingdom of God breaking out in their midst. As disciples repent, lay down their prejudice, turn from their sin of racism and embrace the mission of God, the gospel of Jesus goes to the ends of the earth. How might God use us as a church together if we'll humble ourselves, return to the feet of Jesus and allow him to shine his goodness, his love, his kindness right into the core of who we are. If we allow him to see us and to know us and to love us. How much might God use us as we repent and he draws close and inbreaks with his spirit into our lives. Maybe the band could um, join me. We're going to move into a moment of communion in just a moment. This is my prayer for Chichester. It's based really around these couple of pictures. Maybe you can put that first picture up for me. These pictures have been around a little while. You may have heard this, and I think there's something beautifully prophetic within these. I'll explain. Um, This is a desert in Chile called the Atacama Desert. It's the world's driest, non-polar desert. There's nothing there. Life just doesn't flourish there. And several years ago, they had a storm. And that storm went seven years of rainfall in 12 hours. And something unexpected happens. They had what is called a super bloom. They had a super bloom in the entire desert blossomed and came to life and buried below the desert where these seas. And it wasn't until rain began to fall that the flowers began to thrive. And we read about something like this in the Old Testament, don't we? That's why I think it's so prophetic that dry places will burst into life. Flowers in the desert. Life in dry places. Repentance normally precedes an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I think there is a cry of repentance that's going to rise up in us as we gather again at the feet of Jesus, we lay down our sin, as we lay down our, our, our prejudice and our bias, we lay down our agendas and our plans, and we say, Jesus, I want to look into your eyes, I want to have you stun my thinking, change the way I process and think, lean me again back to you, and in that place, I think we're going to see heaven draw close. And the dry places burst to life. So we're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion together. Our children, they're going to come back and join us as well in a moment and participate in, in communion as family. Communion table is a moment, again, to get at the feet of Jesus, to sit. Maybe not quite at Jacob's well, <laughs> but to sit at his table and to listen, to hear, and to lay down our own stuff, the junk, the things we hold on to, and allow him to reshape our thinking. At the communion table, we remember that he goes to the cross for us, 
that his body is broken for us. We remember through the wine, juice, that his blood is spilt for us at that table, at the cross, that he's given for us in that moment so we can have eternal life, so we can be with him forever. And it's a time to do, we do this communion as a moment of remembrance. Say, I want to repent. I want to turn my life around. I want to lay what I have at your feet, Jesus. Allow you to rethink, rework, change my perspective so my life and my behavior begins to change as well. So I'd love us to pray and then I'll hand over to um, the team here and we'll facilitate some communion together. Maybe we could stand to our feet. That's okay. Thank you. Holy Spirit, just ask for you to begin to minister to us right now. To speak to us, to fill us, to reshape some of our thinking and where we've got it wrong, to, to allow us to move to a place where we're laying down sin and idols and we're saying, God, I need a revelation of you that will reshape my thinking. We want to see this city as a dry place that now bursts with life, with a super bloom of a presence of God. We want to be this as a church. Where we see that reign of heaven. We see that presence of God bringing life to dry places, to desert places within our hearts, within this nation, within this city and within this community. As we turn to you, God, we want to say, God, bring times of refreshing on us as a community. As we turn to you, God, as we lay things down again at your feet, we say, bring times of renewal in us, Lord Jesus. We turn this morning and gaze into your eyes. We thank you that you are the God that sees us and knows us and loves us. And you are the God that says, my kingdom is here in your midst.